what is this that I'm experiencing? And are other people having this or is it just me? Sometimes I'd get to work thinking it was a good day and then I'd get there and within half an hour, I'd call all my clients and cancel them and then just sleep on the couch. How can I create a situation where I not only get to be present with my children, but I get to do work that feels meaningful and impactful, but also is at my speed and my speed can change. It is normal and part of the process that we're gonna have big feelings and big emotions and big physical reactions to being away from our children. The problem that I find though, is that mothers and women typically think that they aren't worth investing in. Chatting to Yara Hiri invokes the familiar comfort that one might feel talking to an older, wiser sibling. She's a psychologist and a mother of two, but more importantly, she's just a human doing her best. She doesn't pretend to have all the answers because she's more interested in learning and growing than being right. Here, she candidly shares both her professional and personal reflections when it comes to relationships, motherhood and career, as we talk dropping the plastic balls enlisting support in whichever way makes sense for you and why parents need to take time to care for themselves in order to care for their children. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the wise and wonderful Yara Hiri. Yara, thank you so much for being here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and your family? Sure, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, me and my family. So yes, I'm Yara. I am married to my husband, Aaron, and we have got two lovely, wild, mad children, a little one who is six and a little one uh, that's a boy who's six, Otis, and my daughter, Nakia, who is four. And yeah, we are just, you know, I'm aware of some of the questions that you're going to ask later. And I guess I just mm. want to say, like, we are all just figuring it out as we go. And, you know, a bit about me is that I am a psychologist, but I also have a sort of background in all sorts of other different things and in a very different world. So I actually was doing music professionally for a really long time um, mm. and then started to study um, psychology and as we were speaking off um, you know record before it's really interesting how those two things have actually worked out to be really useful <laughs> in the work that I do now um, in social media and my podcast and things so yeah so that's a bit about me I'm a I'm a bit of a free spirit I absolutely love my work like I love being a psychologist I love the content that I work with um, and the people who I support particularly at this phase of life, like this part of my life, supporting mothers um, during their transition to becoming mm. a mother or in fact, anywhere along that kind of journey is such an enriching thing for me to do, um, especially alongside my own journey in mothering. Um, so it's just, yeah, very special. Very relevant time. I didn't even think of that. So mm. if I can take you back now to when you started life after birth, this followed the birth of your own son. What mm. happened before that? What came career-wise for you before life after birth and being a psychologist? Pretty much since I left, when I left high school, I just wanted to be a musician. So music's always been a huge part of my life. We've got a lot of musicians in the family and I just desperately wanted to be a famous singer. That's what I wanted to do. And so I sort of um, didn't actually start out playing in band, started out really just as 
more of a performing artist, a recording artist. So I used to do a lot of studio work with the variety of producers here in Australia, but then also I traveled over to the States and worked over there with a manager for a number of years and worked with some really cool people over there. And I, it's really interesting. I just sort of got to this stage, I think being in the States and working in the music industry over there, the kind of the rose colored glasses that I had about the industry came off mm. <laughs> because I got to see some of the parts of that industry that are really not nice. So there's some really awful parts about that industry, especially, I, I wouldn't want to say, especially just in the States, but I think especially as you go up, up the kind mm. of the echelon of the industry and you get closer to the top and I don't mean I was at the top at all, but what I mean is working alongside people who are working with big performing artists and when there's money involved and things like that, it just can become messy. And my experience was that I was in situations where I felt that I had to kind of bend or be molded in some ways that didn't feel comfortable for me and that didn't Mm. feel authentic and that didn't feel like they held integrity for me. And that was like a real heartbreak moment for me because it made me realize that if I wanted that level of success in that space, I would have to do things that didn't feel good to me. And that's not necessarily the case for everyone who's in that space. It really depends Mm. on who you have around you and things like that. But for me, that's where that got to that particular point in my life. And so I started thinking about where will I go from here? What else will I do? Um, And so I started to think about, you know, coming back home and actually going and studying you know, human behavior had always been something that really interested me. And that was part of what was really interesting about what I was observing over in the States and in this kind of industry as well is human behavior and the things that people do and why. My own experiences growing up as well also led me to be very interested in human behavior. And so I decided to go and do psych. So I did that. And then when I came back, I also joined a band here that was just brilliant. And I have such a special place in my heart. I played with them for eight years. We did some incredible Mm. things here in Perth. We were very prolific um, and quite well known within that space um, and style of music that I love, soul music. And it just felt so beautiful to be doing, you know, the learning of psychology, something I was interested in, but really nourishing my soul and my spirit with Mm. music, which was so important for me. During that period of time, I also worked as a nanny, which was really interesting because I think before becoming a parent, working as a nanny, for me anyway, I used to think that I knew things and then I became a parent and realized that actually what the hell and I felt so, so guilty <laughs> about some of the assumptions Haven't you know, that, I, that I'd made. But yes, I worked as a nanny um, for pretty much all of that time as well while I was studying, had some incredible relationships with families and children and parents and things during that time, which I still lean on today. And then I finished that and so when I say finish that, finish my master's and went into working in the health department. So I worked in um, inpatient psychiatric wards initially. I also did oh, wow. some work in, yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense. Worked in drug and alcohol and then also worked in a private practice run by someone else. And actually when I left the inpatient psychiatric ward, it was because I was pregnant. So I'd fallen pregnant with my, with my first. And I just remember having an experience there where there was like a real safety issue that had happened. Like someone um, had really become very dysregulated and became very aggressive. And Mm. I remember 
being in one of the meeting rooms with with a patient who was in there and just the two of us being really scared because they'd sort of locked down the ward and we were still mm. in this room that was not lockable. And so we were wow. in, in this room and there was this very dysregulated, very angry patient wandering around making threats and things like that. And, and I just remember sitting in there just saying to her, just, just be quiet, just stay quiet because I was worried that obviously that that person might come in there and then we were just Mm. both in there without having any way of sort of protecting ourselves and it was that experience that actually made me go i don't think that this is the place that i want to be in (laughs) and when i say that that was a that wasn't i mean i wouldn't say that's a rare occurrence for things like that to happen but it wasn't a usual occurrence Mm. so i don't want to paint that with an awful brush i had a really wonderful time there i part of what's so wonderful about working in the health department or in fact an agency kind of setting is that you have such wonderful support you've got a team that you work with it's very collaborative and multidisciplinary um which is wonderful especially when you're in early career because you can really mm, develop you your skills so much yeah absolutely so it was that was really wonderful but um yeah i think being pregnant as well it just really brought home that this isn't really the space that probably want to stay in once I've had a baby but certainly I don't want to be stressed like this while I'm gestating a baby either Mm. (laughs) so at that time I was already doing some work in private practice so I actually left that and went all into private practice so this was Um, before the arrival of your son you had quit yep yep so I'd left that and went into yeah into private practice and I loved it absolutely loved private practice I mean there's some there's some obviously there's differences between private practice and doing you know agency or or government sector kind of work but really really enjoyed it really enjoyed the freedom I had a really fantastic boss and she was super supportive she knew I was pregnant she was very much like do what works for you and I think you know the wonderful thing about that is she was a single mother and she Mm. um had gone into being a mother um with choice about being um single and so she had a really good understanding in terms of being able to provide options and an environment in the workplace that really supported um, mothers. And so she was, you know, fabulous, absolutely fabulous. And that continued on when I came back. So I, I think I went on maternity leave for, um, I think it must have been a year, maybe a little bit longer than that. And, you know, when I came back, she was just like, do what you want to do. See as many clients as you want or not you know, work the days, these are the days that are available. Like she was, you know, incredibly fe- flexible, which I, you know, recognize is not something that everyone has, or in fact, many people have. So I was very fortunate in that way. Mm. That's amazing to have gotten that much support. So what did return mm. to work look like for you then? Did you slowly mm. build up or did you go to mm. quite a big roster quite quickly? No, it was definitely a slow building up. Yeah, so I actually started, I think, with like, you know, a half day or something like that. And then it was one day. And then I think I tried two days and it just didn't work. Um, part of the reason, which, you know, probably for many people it didn't work, it was just when I think back from then until now, it was about figuring out on a whole family system basis what was going to work and like Mm. you know back in back then when I first returned to work I just didn't even know what I needed in terms of support in order to get what I needed done and so that was really a a case of sort of trial and error between my husband and I and figuring out you know who was doing what like I remember and I still do have this frustration but it was much worse back then 
because I only worked one day a week and my son was in daycare and he just basically was sick nonstop for like three Mm. years, I swear to God. And I just felt like I hardly ever actually worked. I just felt like I was pretty much always cancelling my clients, Mm. Um, you know, and this was pre-COVID, so like telehealth wasn't really a thing. Like in hindsight, I could have just done that. Like I could have sorted that out, but then I couldn't because I actually had my child with me. So, um, you know, that that was really frustrating. That was a great source of frustration. I'm the sort of person that when I get a plan in my head, I cannot, I can't sit still until I've executed it, like until it's mm. done. I just can't, I just, I'm anxious. I'm just jumpy and, you know, all of that sort of thing. And that was really challenging and still remains challenging at times. I think now further along my journey, I've been better able to recognise that there's this real, there's a flow state that we need to get into, which is like we do what we can when we can with the time we have available and what doesn't get done in that time will be other time somewhere else, right? Like that. this is just a phase of life. But back then I was very much like I've gone on, maternity leave I'm back and now I just want to work exactly the same as I did before and I just Mm. want to be not interrupted and I want to you know expect that I can work when I say I'm going to work and all of that sort of stuff and that has been a constant leaning into knowing that that isn't what this phase of life is about I think back then when I first went back to work we had a nanny that used to come and work Mm -hmm. at home um, with my son and so he she stayed with us for about 10 months I think she still actually works for us now, but just like more in a babysitter capacity. Um, and then I just decided to put him in um, daycare because I wanted to have some space for myself at home outside mm. of just working as well. Cause I felt like I just really needed that. I felt like I was either full-time mum or I was like, you know, seeing clients and working and there wasn't a lot of space for me to actually have respite. And I really needed that. So we put him in daycare so I could have some space at home. And and that's when it really became harder. Like I said, with daycare, he just, and he's just, he, you know, some, everyone's immune systems are different. He's the one in our family that like, if there's an illness to catch, he's the one that's getting it and he's getting it like twice in, you know, back to back, right? Like it's just, that's what he's um, kind of little body is like. And so that's been a real challenge and continues to be even now, especially with COVID where like every little sniffle or cough or whatever, like, mm. you know, they're not supposed to be going to school and all the rest of it. That's extreme challenging trying to balance work and, you know, um, being present in that way anyway um, for the kids. So, yeah, I'm just trying to think going back to that question of what did it look like? It just looked messy to be honest. <laughs> Just lots of trial like. and error and figuring it out. Lots of trial and error, lots of frustration. Yeah. I'm trying to think to myself what I could have done differently. And I just don't think there was anything to be done differently. I think, you know, what I, I think what I could have done differently was just maybe had a different mindset about it from the beginning. Mm. Um, in terms Getting of like, that flow state that you've been talking yeah, about. Yeah. And just being like, open to the fact that this is probably going to look really different to what I had experienced before and it may take me some time to adjust what that is and to be able to get a sense of what my needs are going to be. Yeah, and definitely there could have been some much better conversations had with my husband back then to kind of set the the tone of, of what I needed for support during that time as well as I transitioned back to work. And speaking of that transition, that is the perfect segue. So I'm going to take Mm. you back even a little bit further. I know you've spoken about the challenges and identity shifts you felt when you were a new mother. Can you tell Mm. us a bit about that early motherhood phase and how that inspired life after birth? 
oh god there's just so many there's just so much but <laughs> how long do we have <laughs> I, yeah exactly i think that the biggest or the initial source of inspiration for starting life after birth was actually that when i went back to private practice i just didn't really enjoy it anymore mm. um and i started to question whether psychology was what i actually wanted to do anymore which was pretty destabilizing because I had worked so hard <laughs> for that up until that point and and had felt you know a, a sense of my identity was tied up with that as well mm. um and I thought what am I going to do then if I don't know that and I've just spent you know all this time and money and all of the rest of it invested in doing this um I started to just feel like this wasn't enough, like in terms of, and what I mean is really like, you know, the work that I was doing in that private practice was really like very general. It was like seeing anyone who came in um, mm. and, you know, working with, with every kind of population that could basically afford to come in and see me. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't lighting me up. Like the actual work just wasn't lighting me up. And it took me a while to realize that what it was is, it wasn't psychology it was actually just the demographic and the nature of the work so how mm. i was working with people um the kinds of interventions that i was doing with people and also you know the actual focus the niche there was no niche it was just very general and and motherhood so what, is such a big focus i think when you yeah. go through it the first time mm. everything sort of re revolves around that so i can imagine yeah. after this intense period going back to mm. quite a broad job would mm. have been quite challenging yeah yeah and i think also like one of the things that really didn't appeal to me at that point anymore was just like i really wanted to connect with people like i really mm. wanted to connect with people and i really wanted to feel that i could be the same person in my professional work as i was in my private life and that doesn't mean i'm sharing everything about myself or talking about myself in sessions but it just means that like i can show up in the same way so like if i don't want to wear shoes in a session that i could be barefoot or that mm. i could wear like a flowy dress and not feel like i wasn't looking professional enough and you know all of that sort of stuff and it wasn't that the the place where i was working was not telling me i had to be that way but it was like this idea that i had taken on about what the profession of psychology you know, how I was expected to to show up in that profession mm. with I'm a professional hat, you know, I don't have my own opinions about things necessarily, which is bull, um, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and and I'm very professional and I have all the answers and it, that kind of thing. And I think that mm. I, being in this phase of life where I'm now a mother and I feel like all sorts of things are falling apart and I am shedding so many layers of myself, that just felt so lacking in integrity to be to be trying to show up in that way that's a really interesting one it's like you've gone through all of these new feelings as a new mother mm. and then you couldn't sit there and be like well I'm perfect and I'm going to give you advice now yes it just it totally and so I really craved to be doing a job that felt deeply meaningful so that's the other thing before I became a mother I was happy just seeing anyone or whatever and it wasn't like mm. I was just happy to be having an impact in that person's life but I wasn't thinking about the greater the greater kind of um structure or system or you mm. know i wasn't thinking about impact on that in that sort of level but when once i became a mother that really mattered to me and i think it really mattered to me because now i have children who are going to grow up in this world right and they're mm. going to be impacted by the system that they are growing up in and so that level of impact became a real focus for me and it really mattered to me and i didn't feel like i was i was able to 
tap into that with the work that I was doing at that time when I first returned back. And so in terms of what was happening for me personally when I first became a mother is that there was all this sort of identity shifting happening and my friendship groups changed and how I felt about myself, just like everything changed, right? But probably the thing that caused me the greatest level of distress in those in that early phase of being a mother was actually my relationship and it actually just felt like the whole it was just falling apart and crumbling and disappearing and I just didn't know who he was I didn't know who I was I didn't know if I wanted to be with this person anymore like I just I felt so disillusioned by by the whole thing right Mm. and i and that really drove me to start to look into, well, what is this that I'm experiencing? And are other people having this or is it just me? Like are other people struggling in their relationship in the same way? And through that, I found the work of the Gottmans. Um, and in particular, they had a they have a program called Bringing Baby Home, which is essentially like a 12-hour or the way that I used to teach it was I break it up into six weeks. And it was a group program to help soon to be parents so ideally you're getting them in that sort of second trimester soon to be parents preparing them for what's about to come and what's about to happen to their relationship and also Mm -hmm. to equip them with the skills that they're going to need in their relationship so that they can stay strong and stable because their their idea and i support completely is that if the couple you know if the if the top of the pyramid is doing well it kind of trickles into everything else and so Mm -hmm. you know when when mum and dad or or mum and mum and dad and dad, whatever sort of format you want to look at, if those people are doing well, then they're able to support the healthy development of their children. And so I found out about that and I went and did the training for that and I just was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And so that's (laughs) basically the point at which I realised this is actually the work that I want to do. Like Mm. this is so powerful. Like not only can I impact the people that I work with, but I can impact the community at large with this kind of work and and I was so and you could deeply understand the work too because you've just been through it yourself so how old is your son Mm. Otis at this time and then how do you evolve your Mm. practice yeah so he was I think I was pregnant when I did that so by that Mm. point I had already started to think that because okay so I went through this stage where I was like maybe I'll just start like a baby clothing store or maybe I'll just start selling like um reusable nappies like I went through this whole (laughs) like this is all while still working as a site but in my head I was just like this isn't doing it for me like you know and I'd just be fantasizing about all these other like projects that I could you know be doing um and it was though it was it was in the learning about the relationship stuff and all of that sort of thing that I was like oh okay this is really lighting me up maybe this Mm. could be what it is and so I had started to think okay I want to I want to start a business that is psychology and you know, therapy, support, coach, whatever, for people in this phase of life. And I think I'd actually come up with the name Life After Birth already before I went and did all the training and stuff. So by the time I went into the training, I was pretty pregnant with my daughter. And so he would have been almost two and a half because I, yeah, I think she, I think I went in June of 2018 and she was born in September. Um, so he was, yeah, two, two, just after two actually is more like what that was. And mm. it was such a big moment for me like I just felt like there was this information that had been concealed for me from me that's what I felt and I was like I can't believe that it's such a good way of putting it yeah like we're all just out here just trying to navigate this shit when there's actually people Mm. who've done the research and can tell you how to manage it like I was Mm. so I was just bad I was mad about it and it's funny in a world of you can't really teach what you haven't been through 
that yeah. doesn't necessarily ring true. There's still a lot we could learn oh, there's so much. for the huge shifts. Totally. It's just about where does our culture place emphasis on what's important mm. at that time, right? Like, so, you know, everyone's obviously doing some level of birth prep. Um, you know, there's obviously different extents to which that you can do that. Most people are like nesting and, you know, buying all the things that they think that they need for when they have a baby, mm. which will just like, you know, accumulate dust in a corner somewhere when your baby actually comes. And it's like, that's, but that's where the focus is. That's where the focus is in our culture, in our media, in, you know, when, when you, whoever it is that's generally supporting people, they don't talk about like, oh, hey, go and sort out your relationship, go and go and do this course so you can prepare your relationship because it's going to be hard. Like, no one's actually saying that. Yeah. They no don't say you're going to feel like you want to kill your partner and you won't yeah. know why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one's saying that. It's like, if we had a world where that information was being provided in a loving way, mm. um, that would be just so different. But it's also that thing of like, many of us don't get the proper inside look into motherhood until we become mothers because of mm. the, the way that our culture is. Like there isn't ritual around this. Um, you know, mothers are out there mothering in their own subculture almost. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not part of the bigger culture. And so we don't get an honest inside look into what's actually going on. And so it does feel like a really rude shock for many people once mm. they become mothers and they're like, why what the bloody hell did anyone tell me about this and this and this and this, you know? Mm. Um, and I was really fortunate to be able to have the skill to be able to go and do the research and find the information that I needed. I was like, someone must have known something about this, right? But many people don't have that ability or don't have the insight for that. And so they just end up thinking something's wrong with them and that they're mm. doing a really crappy job. And nothing and had, gets solved. Yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong, I had plenty of opportunities and times in this journey and still today where I'm like, oh, I'm a failure, you know, or whatever. I still have those moments, but I can pull myself out of that. That was kind of the catalyst. That was the, I think doing that, that educator training was the moment when it was like, that's it. That's what I'm doing. I'm just jumping. And I remember I spoke to my doula who I'd had for both my pregnancies. And I was telling her about this idea and she was like, Yara, you know, like this is so needed. You've got to do this. Like, that, you know, you've got to do this business idea. It's so good. And she said to me, just jump. Cause I was telling her about all my worries about it. You know, like mm. he's going to do it. Like where am I going to find clients? Like all this sort of stuff. And she was like, just jump, just, just jump, do it. just do it. And it was like, it was, that was it from that moment. I was like, that's it. And I think I was talking to her on the phone from the hotel in Canberra where I went to do the training and she said, just jump. And I was like, that's it. And then I created a Facebook page and that was kind of from then on it's history or whatever, <laughs> you know, like I, I sort of just figured my way out with social media and all that stuff. And God, that was a slog, but yeah. So that was the beginning of that. And, but it wasn't until I had, st I think I'd started making moves to that. But as I said, I was pregnant with my second, um, and she was born in September. So then I had another period. I think it was like maybe nine months before I actually, it was all still in my head and I was still writing things down and create and getting ideas and. And going through another postpartum mm, experience. Totally. Enriched yeah. even more. Exactly, exactly. But it wasn't until 2020 that I actually officially started to see clients in that business, in that particular business. And, you know, going back to the private practice that I worked in while I was pregnant and when I returned back after the first, she was absolutely amazing. I had a really easy pregnancy the first time. The second time I was just so unwell. Mm. And, you know, I would have days where I'd go into work. And at that time we'd moved locations and we were staying, the, the office was in this building that had so many stairs and I could hardly even get to the top level without just dying on the way mm. up there. And 
sometimes I'd get to work thinking it was a good day and mm. then I'd get there and within half an hour I'd call all my clients and cancel them and then just sleep on the couch. Like, and she was oh, so hard. really supportive <laughs> during that period. I think I took a whole month and a half off where I just cancelled every client for a month and a half and just went, I'm just going to give myself this time and hopefully I can be okay and I can be human again after that. Mm. And, you know, when you're pregnant a second time, you've got also the first one, right? And he's like this two-year-old, you know, hurricane. Mm. I was just, oh, I was flogged. <laughs> so flogged. So how did you go into that postpartum period then if you were so flogged during the pregnancy? Mm. You're already a mother of one. Now yeah. you're a mother of two. How did that look for you? I am so grateful that I had some insight into not only insight into what was coming because I'd done it once before, but also a real awareness of I really want it to look different this second time round. So mm. both my pregnancies I had midwifery led care and um, I actually had home births for both of them and I had doulas, the same doulas and the same wow. midwives for both of those. And so I was really aware of what was out there in terms of support. So postpartum doulas and stuff, I did look into that, but it just happened to be that another situation arose. And that was just that when I was pregnant the second time round, I had really bad hip pain and I had that the first time, but it was to the point where I could hardly even walk like a couple of minutes down the road without ending <sighs> up in a lot of pain. Um, and we had a dog and my husband and I couldn't keep up with doing that and also managing a very, you know, energetic two-year-old in terms of just walking around for me mm. um and so i found someone on our in our local community that could walk the dog and she just kind of right. became part of our family and then i said when the baby arrived i said can you please help me look after these kids <laughs> so, and she was and, and she was amazing it was really organic but it was perfect and she was like a second mother to my kids and my daughter would get so excited because she I think she worked with this for a year so for a year she had this this other woman who would be there and who would put her to bed and feed her and dote on her she just absolutely I mean you know Lily loved my daughter Nakia mm. and Nakia loved her and I could see it and I didn't even care like I was <laughs> I was just so happy that it wasn't all up to me like I was just like you know and it used to really light me up to see that someone else could have that relationship with her and it was so mm. beautiful my son struggled a little bit with that um, in terms of having someone else there because he was also now dealing with the adjustment of being the center of the world anymore for his mum and dad and he really struggled with that as many kids do which is normal but the mm. idea of having another person who was coming into the home and who was taking care and in charge he he struggled with that and so the way we worked with that is that i sort of would try to be the one that had to sort of manage him or be with him or whatever and i used to use a lot of opportunity for her to like put nakia to bed or you mm. know bathe her or feed her or whatever and then i would when my son was home really focus on giving him more attention so that that transition became easier for him and then he was also in daycare so then there was you know plenty of time when i was with my daughter on my own and obviously like i'm baby war he was attached to me all the time anyway so um so yeah and that was like amazing that was absolutely amazing and then lily actually fell pregnant which was devastating for me but really <laughs> at the same time <laughs> really exciting and she was you know herself very unwell in that pregnancy and actually really had to bed rest for most of that pregnancy um wow. and that was kind of the end of her being there in that capacity but we you know, still keep in touch and all of the rest of it um but yeah and i just think i wish i'd had that with my first i just wish i'd had someone 
because she'd sort of started off in that dog walking kind of thing, she slowly ended up just doing other things. Like I'd be like, could you just go to the shop and get me this? Or, you know, and I would just get her there for more hours. And and that's how it kind of transitioned into, oh, actually my daughter's here now and I really need some help. So can you help mm. me with all this other stuff as well? And she would just do, you know, help me out with whatever needed doing. And she was fabulous. And I loved her deeply and I still do. And, um, you know, think so fondly about, her that time and the wonderful you know this beautiful fourth trimester experience that I really hadn't Mm. experienced the first time round. first time round, I had lots of breastfeeding issues I my son was very small he lost weight um which we were concerned about for a while there um I had wonderful support I had a midwife who visited me twice a day for like two weeks and a doula who was there and you know all that stuff which again I just don't know how I don't know how people do it without all of that like it's Mm. it's and, and that was, you know, I didn't know that I would need that. It just happened to be that that's what I had because I had the foresight of, you know, having midwifery sort of care that did attend my home and things like that. But it wasn't like I didn't go into that the first time going like, I'll need you to visit me two times a day. That was just part mm. of what happens when you have that kind of care. Yeah, so that's that's the kind of support that I had around me that time also there was just more conversation between my husband and I about what we needed to support us during this period of time that we just mm. never had because the first time around we were like oh we're not going to be like those people are we gonna be yeah we're gonna you, be can't like know, those. you can't know <laughs> yeah exactly like no we're still definitely gonna have sex all the time we're just like you know oh, no it's not a... gonna affect it's not gonna affect our relationship you know anyone staying. who's doing that is very very impressive <laughs> to me <laughs> you know it was just it was just um you know, I was naive and mm. I have a lot of love and compassion for that person who really had no idea, like that mm. version of me who had no idea. And some women are really good and and when I say really good, do the work to find out or maybe just have a community around them that provides that kind of those lessons before mm. they've even had children. You know, maybe they're just more I guess there's in more information now too. Each mm. year content online is becoming more yeah. accessible through COVID. We have more online resources. So yeah. it's probably also that your your child is six years old and there's oh. the world's changed so much in six years. Totally. Which brings me to your practice today. What are the key areas that you find mm. yourself working with mothers on? So essentially, you know, and it ties back to some of my own experiences again is I mean, I, I am a trauma therapist, so I, mm-hmm. you know, the lens that I look at the thing, you know, it, the lens that I, that I use to look at the types of problems that people come to me with is trauma. So I'm looking at their background, I'm looking at their family of origin, I'm looking at what are the core beliefs that they have internalized based on the experiences that they've had, but also what are the core beliefs that have been internalized based on the culture that we live in, right? And, mm-hmm. and how is that impacting what they're doing in their day-to-day as a mother and how that's then making them feel about motherhood you know and so that's essentially what i'm looking at i mean a lot of the work that i'm doing is around helping women identify not just the core beliefs that they hold but the internal dialogue that comes from that inside so you know things like guilt or criticism that they have for themselves or these unrelenting you know high expectations that they Mm -hmm. have of how they navigate the world um and also of getting them to a place where they really deeply value their own well-being and not their own not their own productivity but their well-being mm-hmm. and that's been a real just such a thing. huge one for mothers especially yeah and it's been a really big thing for me as a working mother as well um how can i how can i create a situation where 
I not only get to be present with my children, but I get to do work Mm. that feels meaningful and impactful, but also is at my speed and my speed can change month to month, year to year, right? Like depending on how many daycare successes there are. (laughs) Oh, totally. But also like where I'm at in my own cycle of Mm. being in this world, right? Like not Mm. just cycle in terms of my monthly cycle, but also like I might just have a parenting journey. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, that's been a big thing. And, you know, I, have always wanted to go fast. Like I've always wanted to like, I've got a goal, this is what I do, I smash it out, this is how I get there. Like very like that, not really paying attention to my body during that process. It's just like this real mentality of like, whatever I need to do, I'm just gonna work harder, I'll work faster, I won't, I'll, I won't sleep, I, you know, mm. whatever it is that I have to do, whatever punishment my body needs to go through mm. in order to achieve the goal, that's, that's very much me. And mothering, being a mother, so mothering and this experience for me has really been about learning actually that that isn't healthy. Mm. Um, It isn't going to, it doesn't actually result in anything meaningful for me. Like, so I might get the success, I might have like the A or I might, you know, at school or I might have whatever, but like that doesn't really fill that space. And this is where the trauma work comes from, right? Like, I mean, I do this work because it's so relevant to me because of my Mm. own experiences, right? And so yeah so coming back to that question of what i do with women it's really around helping women understand their histories so that they can understand how that impacts the way that they move through the world today so that they can understand why they have the expectations they have of themselves in mothering and in life and often those expectations are unrelenting and unrealistic and also then re-imagining what it could look like if that wasn't the case so if I integrate these parts of myself, if I, including the, you know, my wounds and all of that sort of stuff from my past, and I look to the future for, for what I want and what really gives me meaning in my life um, and what will bring meaning to the lives of my children and my family, what would that look like, right? Like, so connecting back to values and this sense of self-compassion, mm. like how do I cultivate self-compassion for myself so that they can have an experience in life in general, which is one that feels good to them, mm. that feels enjoyable, that feels like they may still be thriving even through the challenge, right? Because I don't think thriving is not the absence of challenge. It's just like still being able to do it, still knowing mm. that on the other side of that cloud, there is still the sun there, right? Like knowing that, um, yeah, we're going through a tough time, but I've got what I need to be able to make it through this that's a lot of the work that I do. So, you know, and, and, you know, on a sort of structural systemic kind of level, it's really about trying to help women learn how to disengage from some of the really unhelpful narratives that we have around martyrdom as women and as mothers specifically, and, and getting to a point where they feel like they have, that they can take up space, that they can have an active voice, that they can speak their mind, that they get to choose what their life looks like, that, and, and learning to be with the discomfort that comes along with that, because that's not easy. Sometimes we do hard things and we just sit with the difficulty of that, but we can still do the hard thing and it can get less hard the more we habituate ourselves to that, right? And I really mean less hard in terms of on an emotional level, right? Like that mm. it can feel unsafe to do something that is not typically what you would do, even though you know that that thing that you need to do is moving you towards your greater goal, right? Mm. As a woman, as a mother, all of that sort of thing. So as a working mother, then, is it sometimes hard to practice what you preach for yourself? You've obviously got a very busy schedule. (laughs) How do you come back to your own principles of caring for other people, for yourself? Yeah. Oh, I mean, 
it's this constant, it's not a juggle, it's a constant recalibration. So one of the things that I've become really aware of is that when I start to become resentful and angry, it's telling me that things are out of balance and that I'm not looking after myself. So I've, so now I pick that up much quicker than I used to. But I think that coming back to the why from a, you know, from my work perspective, it's coming back to the why, like, why do I do this? Why does it matter Mm -hmm. to me to be doing this work in the world? And it always, it it does for me connect back to my own values around being a, a human in the world and what I want to do for my children, right? And my own belief that I deserve joy and that I deserve meaningful experiences and that I'm a value. And if I'm not able to do that in my life in general, then, you know, it makes it difficult for me to be talking about this in life. And I have to say, though, as I said, like I don't have the perfect answer for everything. I posted mm. something on my, you know, Instagram today about how I get, you know, folding done or my laundry done and someone responded um to me saying you know but it sucks that this is on us and it's like i don't have the answer for that like mm. <laughs> you know yeah, I can you're open through... to the conversation but yeah, you don't yeah, necessarily yeah. have the answer yeah i don't have the answer mm. but you know like my work is like i don't have the answer for you you are the expert mm. in your situation but i'm here to talk mm. to you about it to problem solve with you to reflect back to hold space to and to learn you... along the way too yeah and you know to give you freedom to feel everything that you need to feel about what's good and what isn't in mm. this journey but i don't necessarily have the answers and even mm. when i do have the answers it doesn't mean that i'm applying them all the time mm. in my life right and i think that that's a really lovely thing for me to have come to a conclusion for you know how i said earlier about this the stuffiness that I was feeling about needing to be professional Mm. that's what's so beautiful about actually doing this job myself like actually creating this business of my own it's like I get to show up in a way that feels really authentic for me Mm. and I can say to my clients and I do often say I don't have the answer for that or you know this is my suggestion I don't always get that right though and I can say Mm. that to people and I know how powerful it is for people to hear that because they get they let themselves off the hook when they hear me they go, oh like, you're a human too and you have yeah. feelings too and you're not feeling a hundred percent every yeah. day of the week yeah that's such exactly. a good point and so yeah. life after birth now also lives as a podcast can you tell mm. us firstly about your podcast and yeah. also how on earth you fit that into an already busy <laughs> parenting and working schedule yes yeah so that that came about because i had been wanting to do a podcast for a really long time and actually in this room that i'm in now i still have like probably a hundred post-its on the wall on my cupboard with all these names of people I want to interview and all of those were written at a time when the kind of podcast I was going I was thinking about having was where I interview kind of experts in the parenting space about particular things you know so that people would go okay this is a skill or this is info Mm. I didn't know and you know take it away and use it themselves and I sat with that for ages because I although that was what my initial idea was it just didn't I was like something isn't right about it like something isn't right about this and I couldn't put my finger on it and then, um, you know, I listen to a lot of and consume a lot of Brene Brown's work. And I was listening to one of her episodes and it was with um, Jason. Oh, totally forgot his name. Amazing, amazing African-American um, black author over there. Like just and it was a conversation where obviously they they weaved in not on purpose, but, you know, aspects of his work came up in it. But the whole mm. conversation was actually just about his life. Like it was actually just like this is who I am. He started off talking about like, I'm the, the son of this person. I'm the, you know, and this person and 
a grandchild of this person. And I just remember hearing that and going like, that is so fascinating. Like it's so mm. fascinating to hear who you are and where you've come mm, from. The actual story rather the than actual the sort story. of facts or the learnings. And it was like, it wasn't even about motherhood. I don't think he's a parent. It was nothing like that. But I just felt like I got this like fly on the wall insight into someone else's life. And it was a really beautiful story. And I felt so good after hearing it. And when mm. I listened to that episode, I was like, this is what the podcast has to be. It has to be like, there's so much out there where there's experts talking about tips. I want it to be where people can, a home where people can just feel seen um, and where they can hear stories of other people. And, you know, initially, and I think this will evolve over time, but initially it was like experts talking about their experience so that it breaks down that wall of like, oh, there are people out there who know what they're doing and never make mistakes. It's like, no, mm -hmm. actually all the experts are, you know, not taking people. their own advice and just making mistakes and learning as they go. Mm. And so that, that was a big part of it. But yeah, I just really wanted a space where people would come hear the stories of other women, hear their own stories within that and just recognize that they're just human like everybody else and i feel like building self-compassion in life is so important but especially at this phase of life where so much is mm. unfamiliar right um and so that was the real drive for me and it has been such a gift actually to record these episodes with all these women for me i'm just like i feel like i'm having my own personal like therapy session like mm. just and like, so many oh extra learnings for you as yeah. a psychologist Oh, it's just, yeah, it's been really, really beautiful. I'm so grateful to be able to do it. And then your question around how I fit that in is that one of the things that I really apply to my work is that, you know, how I said to you before about like learning to go slow, learning to go mm. at the pace that is actually not just possible, but sustainable. So mm. building a sustainable business and working in a way that feels sustainable is like core to me these days. And that applies to everything in my life. So how I parent needs to be sustainable, not just like only, I can only parent like that when all of the other things around it are perfect. No, because that's not sustainable to me. Mm. I'm not going to be able to be you know, reliably and predictably able to parent in this particular way when I don't have all these other supports around. Especially when kids aren't reliable or predictable. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? So it's like imperfect, really embracing imperfection. And so my business is very light as well, which means mm -hmm. that I can have a plan of releasing a podcast in June 2022, which is what I did, and it didn't come out until November because mm. life happened, personal things happened, family stuff happened. I just lost interest for a while um you know all sorts of things happened and so for me it's like giving myself permission and i think this is what many women need to do is like give yourself permission to do it at your own pace and i know i just also want to you know point out the elephant in the room that i am in a privileged position because i run my own business and not everybody mm. has that but i do also think that like if you're in a position where there's so much inflexibility and it's causing you so much distress if you have the capacity to look for another situation, then you really need to seriously consider that because you've only got one life, right? And, mm. and your well-being really matters. I got to a point where I was getting frustrated initially because I was like, ah, oh, I really want to get this podcast out. I really want to get this podcast out, which is that old Yara energy, which is like, I've got this plan and I want to get it done. And then I sat and I thought, you know what, Yara, it's okay. Nobody, I mean, no one's necessarily waiting on this. And even if they <laughs> are, I get to choose how I do this. Like I mm. get to choose. So that thing that I was saying that I try to remind other women of, I get to choose. This is my project. This is my joy. 
and it's a gift hopefully that I'm you know giving to other women in terms of hearing it so I get to choose so reminding myself about that throughout this process of running my own business of like I get to choose if it feels good I do it if it doesn't feel Mm. good it's out it's in the bin right Mm. and that's happened in lots of different ways like even with my group coaching program my plan had been to run that a couple of times a year I got halfway through the year this year and all sorts of private personal family stuff happened and I just kind of was like I don't have the nervous system capacity to actually hold space for another group of women this year So I decided to press pause on that. But, you know, this is the thing, right? When we close one door, another door opens. What that did mean is I had capacity to really build this podcast, right? Mm. And to to bulk record. So I've got like a whole library of recordings now ready to go, which means there's no pressure about the podcast now. And so that's just one of those things. Like sometimes we have to remember that when we choose to maybe close the door on one thing that feels hard, we are opening opportunity for something else. And if I hadn't done that, if I had just kept running my group this year, it's possible this, my podcast wouldn't be out yet, mm. right? So, and there's other things that have happened. There's other really exciting things that are happening in the business that, again, I don't think I would have had the capacity if I hadn't said I'm going to push pause on that. Um, and that's hard because, you know, from a business perspective, that's loss of income for me to not do mm. those groups during the year. But it all it came back to, like, what's good for me? Like, I have to be well so that I can manage my family and myself and my children, which comes back to my value system and my why and all of that sort of stuff. You know, and I also just really want to recognize that not everyone may be in that situation, right? Mm. There are systems of oppression in our culture, you know, which I have experienced at different points in my life as well, but I am in a position where I can now. So I just really want to point that out because we need to recognize that not everyone is coming from the same starting place. Mm. Um, and so that that may be more challenging for people who are finding themselves in situations where, you know, they might be single mothers, for example, and they really need to work because they've got to put food on the table. So really re- recognizing that. And for those women who are finding themselves in that position, like, you know, how can you, what part of the work that you do might be in alignment with your core values so that, mm. it, you know, you can find joy in those things, even if the rest of it feels like a schmozzle, Right. And also reminding ourselves that everything in life is a phase and right. sometimes we just need to do what we need to do to get through because that's the reality mm. of the situation. But that phases change. Children grow older. That gives you more flexibility and more time. Sometimes when we have to stay in a work setting that doesn't feel ideal, it can be the time that we spend imagining what it's going to be when we do have the time and mm. capacity to be able to be in a space that feels more like where we need to be. As a psychologist, what are the two main things you'd love to see new mothers do? Firstly, to prepare Mm. for early motherhood and secondly, to prepare for the return to work. Mm. I would say invest in support. (laughs) And when I say invest, I mean, invest in whatever way you need to invest and that you have capacity Mm. to invest. So if that looks like, you know, if you've got family that you can um, enlist for support, then do that. If you feel like this is the thing that you've got to be careful with families like not just like the fantasy of what they can give you in terms of Mm. support but honestly what is the support what is their capacity for support right and you know there might be some family members that you can't rely on for emotional support so don't rely on them for emotional support and don't go there expecting that's what you're going to get maybe they're just really good at practical stuff like Mm. cooking meals or helping with your laundry or taking the dog for a walk and then rely for them on, rely on them for that and that's it, right? So really be clear about who you can go to for what kind of support. And then enlisting support in other ways might be, you know, 
maybe you want to start having a think about you know, community groups that you can get involved with. So you're not alone from the beginning. Maybe it looks like having a postpartum doula or, you know, paying someone to walk the dog or, you know, if you've got an older child already, you know, helping someone who can maybe take kids to, to school in the morning or something if, you've, if you're having a new baby. So, so just enlisting support in whatever capacity you can is the biggest tip I could give anyone. Mm. And the problem that I find, though, is that mothers and women typically think that they aren't worth investing in. That mm. is, that's the biggest barrier, I think, for many people, because even people who can legitimately afford to financially invest in that don't. And it's not because of the money. It's because they don't believe that that is a good spend of money because they have and the... And um, told them that makes them a lesser mother, perhaps. That's right. That's right. Mm. Yeah, that they're failing, that everybody else can do it, so why can't I? It's not a good mm. enough excuse. Like, how can I spend that money on myself? You know, all this I'm not even crap. working. Exactly. I'm not working. Exactly. <laughs> like, or if I go back to work, then, then all my income gets used on childcare. And it's like, well, if you're in a mm. partnership... I just don't yeah. I'm like, no. Add them together and <laughs> exactly. minus from that. Exactly. I've had this conversation a lot of times. Exactly, exactly. So one of the things that when I, you know, have, have done couples therapy, which I've done on and off for years, mm. um, as in my own couples therapy, is one of the really big things said to us by our therapist was, you know, consider your family as a business. And so it's not about you as a mother, for example, like I outsource my laundry. I haven't always done that. I won't necessarily always do that, but I'm in a phase of life where I need that support, mm -hmm. where we need that support. Um, and so it's like what the amount of time that it takes us to do that, to fold it, to do all of that or to argue about it and mm. then end up resentful and all the rest of it. If you're thinking about it like a business, you would just pay someone to do the linen for your business because you've mm. got other things to do like running the business right because you're the ones at the top of that business and it was the biggest light bulb moment for me and my husband it was like oh i don't need to justify it because i'm the mother or i'm the woman and that should be my job it doesn't mm. matter in a business you can do you can try and do every single thing in your business if you want to and it won't go very far because no. You actually just can't do everything. And so yeah, it's, that it's like idea a of... growth phase. Like if Absolutely. it's just the two of you, you can probably manage a bit more. Yeah. But once you start building that business Absolutely. and adding those children, you cannot do it all. Absolutely. And so it's like, what's where's my energy best spent? And mm. I'm happy to be tighter financially in some months because I'm spending money on getting the laundry done than to be better off financially in some months, but to be miserable mm. because I'm carrying so much load. Like, what's mm. the point of that? What's the point? Pardon of your pun there. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, so I I think that getting support is really, um, really important. And also if you get support in that postpartum phase, like for, and I really encourage people, if, if they're thinking about getting support where someone is actually helping in your home, do it before baby comes so that there's mm -hmm. like a nice transition period. They get to know your home and what you need and things like that. And also because at the end of pregnancy, most women do need support because, you know, they're, they're heavy and tired and all of that sort of stuff and fed up. So mm. it's, you know, important to think about maybe doing that with some transition time. But also if you have that from that point, it actually just does make it easier then to transition to the workplace if that's what you choose to do because you've already now mm. got some really good systems set up for when that time happens. 
And you start um, to lean on someone. So it hasn't yeah. been sort of all on you or even all, all of a on sudden. both parents. You've yeah. already opened up your network and you're starting yeah. to understand what life is like outside of your baby. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And then I also think the other thing that I feel could be so supportive, I mean, there's so many things, but I think preparing as to what is going to or how other people may have experienced time after they've had a baby in their relationships mm. and just for themselves personally. And of course, everyone's situation is different. That's not to say, you know, someone tells you that something was awful and you're going to have the same thing, but just opening your mind to the myriad of possibilities that exist after. Because mm. most, look, I think from my experience, most people have really unrealistic views about what life is going to be like, who they're going to be as a mother. Like no one goes into having a mother thinking they're about to have an identity crisis. Like no one, no one does that, no. right? But everybody no. experiences that. And yeah, so, at some level, every single mother and parent has yep. to. Yeah. And but that's so much of, has just changed. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said has to, because I want people to know that that's actually part of the gig. You cannot mm. avoid that. There is no mm. avoiding that. That is part of what you're signing up for. Yes. And you're not broken for, yeah. for going through something like that. That's right. But how wonderful would it be if we could just be open to that possibility mm. as we are moving through that? So like, you know, maybe it's just like, I'm not, I'm not going to be firm in my expectations. I'm just going to know that I'm going to be open to trying things on and to making changes if I need to and for being attuned to my own physical body and my own emotional needs moment to moment and feeling supported about that by your partner, whoever is there. And so doing stuff as a couple is so important, I think, when we're talking about preparing and educating because mm. it allows us to have these kinds of conversations because we've already been prompted by whatever we're learning, the content we're learning in these group situations. And I also love group work because you're being, you're, so much is being normalised for people. Right? They're hearing that everybody else is going through the same thing or worried about going through the same things. So it's really important. So, And I think that some of the ways that we can prepare for that is like reading books that are reasonable books because there's lots of not very reasonable books out there. <laughs> but, you know, like reading, you know, asking around, asking maybe people that you do know who've had babies about like what what was really helpful for them to know or what was what was a, a book that they read that was helpful, for example, and things like that. And then using your sense of, how do I describe it? Using your own sense of critical thinking to decide whether or not that's actually aligned for you. Because that's the other mm. thing, right? Like sometimes yeah, you Yeah, don't can, just believe what you read, actually. Exactly. Like read your own go, values. Yeah. And go like, oh, how does this feel for me? How does it sit? Does this mm. feel like it would be okay? Like, does this feel like where I want to go? And just mm. taking taking what feels good for you from each thing that you come into contact with right so and I very much like that with all these different types of parenting styles like you know conscious parenting respectful parenting aware parenting whatever like there are bits within that that fit for me and again mm. I come from a trauma focus and so that ultimately an attachment focus so that ultimately is the governing framework that I use and so it's like when I read these books does that fit within that does that make sense into my understanding of what trauma is and how we avoid it and things like that yes okay I'll take that on no put that one in the bin like mm. and it might not be the whole the whole book in the bin but it might be parts mm. of that right yeah we'll throw a few um, pages in yeah exactly so um yeah preparing so things like um the Gottman's work so that that they have a brilliant book called oh, and AEB makes three I think it is mm -hmm. and that's essentially the 
the book version of that workshop. There's more detail probably in the, in the workshop, but that book is what I often recommend for people who are pregnant and who are sort of, you know, in the second trimester stage where they can actually receive info and it's not too overwhelming because they're not too focused on labor just yet. Mm. Um, so that's a really fantastic resource. Also, Ellie Taylor has a program called Becoming Us. She's an Aussie and it is sort of similar and sort of along the same lines as the Gottman's work, but probably goes into more detail in some areas around attachment stuff, maybe I'm going to say. I think there's just, there's more that there's more, it's not just that there's more content, there's more breadth of content in Mm. her program and it's Aussie, you know, made. So I love supporting that. She's brilliant. So those are two things that if anyone is out there and is listening and always maybe having a second baby or a third baby, those programs are fantastic. So you can check that out. And otherwise, I feel like even doing birth prep stuff that is long format. So I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about like the three or four hours that you do at the hospital setting. I'm talking about a private evidence-based birth preparation course that, you know, the ones that are good generally last a couple of weeks and maybe Mm -hmm. two hours at a time, they're they're thorough. And I think that that's a really nice place as well, because often we end up in those conversations in those settings that are, what are we expecting about what's coming next? And that Mm. opens up those conversations as well, which is really important. Mm. Um, And then the other option in terms of getting support around what is coming and feelings of anticipation that we may have or anxiety or worry is actually just going and seeing a therapist. And I do have women who come and see me um, in the lead up to being, um, to having their babies who want to work through. What a great gift to give yourself. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so I wish I had had the insight to do Mm. that myself. Yeah. Um, And so they are going into that then with some more insight into what may be coming for them and some skills that they can use if they come up to challenges and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so great I think, idea. Even just the acceptance mm. of this could come up for you and be like, oh, okay. Yep. Even if it yep. doesn't feel that good, at least mm. I know that this is quite normal. I'm not the only yep. one doing this. Mm. And also they're already tapped in now to a resource, mm. you know, so um, I do have women who come to me before um, and who want to go through whatever it is that is on their minds at that point. And then I may not see them for a little while and then they tap back in maybe within the month or two after and, and want to pick up again because now they're in, they're in it and we've got this relationship and now we can really start to do some of the work there that's needed for now we're living it, right? Mm. Mm. There's some really good tips in there. Yara, mm. before we move on to our Instagram followers questions, mm. my last question for you is you're obviously running a tight ship at work (laughs) and at home what are some things that you do in your week such as offloading the laundry when that feels Mm. right and when that feels affordable that you do that help your weeks flow as a parent and a working mother i actually would start with yeah there are those tips around like the logistics of stuff but i would say that my biggest flex is actually how i look after myself Mm. um and so that means that I'm making sure that I'm eating well throughout the week so that my body is nourished. I'm not very good at going to bed early. I'm just going to flag that straight away. It is a continual work in progress for me. Mm. So I'm not fantastic with that, but it's it's in there. And then it's like my practice of breath work is really important to me and I don't know that I'd be <laughs> anywhere near as sane if I didn't <laughs> if I didn't have that. 
So that's really, really important. And the other one is movement. Like without, you know, I'm, it's very obvious when I'm not getting enough movement because I just become mm. a grumpy individual and I become upset about everything and I just become, I start to look depressed. That's kind of mm. how that looks for me. Um, and exercise in particular has always been a big part of my life, but it wasn't until I became a mother that I realised how desperately I needed to be doing regular exercise because it it so profoundly affected my mood when Mm. I didn't have access to that when I wasn't investing time in that so those are the things that I do for me in order to keep myself in a state that I can actually manage life like without Mm. that it would be hard and I'd probably just throw in there regular contact with my friends as well so whether that's like catching them at a yoga yeah at a yoga class whether it's like you know I I have quite a few friends who do the same, go the same gym as me. So I might catch a coffee with one of them once, you know, during that week um, after the class, it's a quick one, but it's just like another mm. opportunity to check in with another human and kind of quick vent and all of that sort of stuff. So that stuff is super important. And mm. I think that for many people that needs to be the focus for them and all the other stuff then comes a lot easier. So making mm. sure that we're in a state where our nervous system has capacity to manage the demands that are on us um, throughout our week is really important. That's such an interesting way of articulating it. Mm. So important because if your nervous system is is flogged or at capacity, mm. you just aren't going to respond well to anything, even if you've got someone picking up your laundry and yes. you know, whatever else is going on. It sounds so obvious when you say it, but it's not. It's not something that I ever actually would have thought of in Mm. those terms but that leads beautifully actually to our first follower question Mm. instagram follower question that is which is how do you actually carve out that me time then how Mm. do you and your husband negotiate Mm. having some time each to go do those things that then help you parent and help you work Mm. and look the answer is that it looks different at different phases in life so when i had newborn babies it looked like i walked a lot in the morning that's what Mm. my exercise looked like and i'd get up I mean, my son back in those days, when I think about all those hours and hours and hours that I was just like on the footpath in the very early morning with my pram, you know, I don't do that much anymore because Mm. we now have school runs in the morning and they sleep in a bit later and stuff. So it looks different at different um, times. But back in those days when I had babies, tiny little babies, it was like he'd wake up for a feed at five and I would do the feed and then I'd put him in the pram and I'd go for a walk. Um, You know, I would have support to be able to get rest at other times because obviously waking up at five when you're waking up all night which is what we used to do Mm. so we co-slept and breastfed all damn night long so but I was already up then so I was up so I was like well I may as well get up get a walk in um get some movement in and then I would basically get home and go back to bed (laughs) that's actually what I'll do so doing things like that now it looks very different because I've got a six and a four-year-old and they sleep in later which means that my husband and I um you know, and also they sleep all night. So it means that we can get up now very early in the morning, not because I'm being woken up by a baby needing a breastfeed, but just because I can go and do a 5.30 gym class. And then I'm tag team with my husband and he goes at, as soon as I'm back at about 6.20 or something like that, Mm. he goes and does his thing. You know, sometimes he might walk or whatever. So that's what that looks like. Um, But also I think actually when I used to be at uni and I've actually been thinking about reinstating this with two particular girlfriends of mine, I went through a stage in my master's where I was so intensely in, in that work. There was a huge workload for that. Um, Mm. and also I was playing in the band and I was working as a nanny and I felt like I hardly got to see my friends. And I went through a stage where again, it started to look like I was having a depressive episode. 
And I rang my friends and I said, I really need to see you guys. And just randomly finding an opportunity here and there isn't cutting it for me. Like I need to know mm. that I need to know I've got an opportunity to catch up with you. And so between the four of us, we organized that every Friday at five, we'd meet at this cafe that we loved and we had it as a recurring thing in our calendar. And often it wasn't the four of us. Sometimes it would just mm. be two of us. Sometimes it would be three of us, but everyone knew it was on. And if you're available, you went. Which is especially a good tip for working parents too, oh, because it's yeah. that thing in your calendar each week. It's not, yeah. let's catch up. I love you. I miss you. It's yeah. we're seeing each other this time this week. Absolutely. And it was, mm. you know, and that was like an every week thing. I don't, I think there may have been a very few number of times that we actually just said, oh, no one's available, but very mm. rare. Um, and to be honest, and the people I, that needed it could go because that's right. I imagine, you know, you carve yep. out the time when you really need it. It was so good. And I actually still have the reminder in my phone after all these years. <laughs> um, but I was actually thinking the other day, because that these particular friends of mine have all been traveling and they've just come back. Everyone's in the same place now again. And I'm like, oh, I need to reinstate that. Mm. But at the moment, the one that I do that's kind of like that is Tuesday yoga. And I've got a few friends, they invited me along originally. And so I know I can see them there. So Tuesday night yoga is kind of, we get what we need for our bodies and stretching, but mm -hmm. we also get to see each other. Um, and I think, you know, my husband is not as good at that. He's really not as good at that. And that's one of the things that we're working on at the moment is like, okay, you say you want to do yoga or you, you know, you don't mm. see your friends and stuff. You need to set up a reoccurring thing. So we know that every week, this is where you're going to be at this time. It's your thing. Mm. Um, and I think that it's, you know, when we're having these conversations with our partners, it's important to consider them too, in terms of, okay, we need this, but they need that too. And so mm. how can we allocate some time each week or each fortnight or whatever that looks like that feels good for your family, where each person gets to have time that's their own, that they get to choose how they spend that, that time. And again, wanting to really acknowledge that depending on the phase of mothering or parenting that you're going to be in that's going to look different so for some period of time i always had a baby attached to me mm. um, for some of that and we made that work best that we could or yeah you know that meant taking that, care of yourself but not yeah. putting un unrealistic expectations mm -hmm. that you can't meet and then that make you feel like you failed at even looking after yourself <laughs> totally yeah so the next question I have for you, Yara, is a bit of a long one, but a really good one. This follower says, how do you maintain presence and quality time with your little ones when balancing multiple hats as a mother, insert job title here, partner, friend, and more? Starting mm. out feels incredibly overwhelming and like I can't get it right. I've been hearing about embracing the juggle, but that feels too chaotic for presence, especially when social media is a part of the job. Yeah, so I think that, you know, I love the analogy of, you, you know, if we're thinking about juggling, then what what is the material of the balls that we're juggling? So there are some balls that are glass that need to be, you know, held up and that can't be dropped. And there are some that are plastic and can be dropped. So when people are asking me about overwhelm and about um, feeling like there is so much load and feeling really dysregulated because they're trying to manage all of that. One of the questions that I always say is what can you drop? What can you just mm. let go of? And something that really brings this point home is, you know, that post that I made today about how I get my laundry folded, mm. you know, outsourced. Someone made a comment, not in any kind of mean way or anything, but just saying like, it sucks that this, you know, is our responsibility to deal with, like in terms of getting it organized. And I, one of the things that I said to her in response to that was just like, you just have to the, you know, what we can do is just make a decision not to do things anymore. And then you just mm. have to deal with the consequence of that. Like you've got to kind mm. of let shit hit the fan sometimes 
to, to, to create enough drive in other people who are around you to actually step up to the plate. Because if you don't do that, um, then there's always going to be that expectation and you're always going to be resentful that you are the one doing it. So I'm not suggesting that we make a rod for our own backs because it's not that we have to look, mm. I look in a much more broader context, which involves looking at our culture and stuff. But if we want to talk about what we can do individually, we can just put shit down and say, I'm not doing it. And we let the clothing pile up until someone notices and says, I've got no undies left, right? Mm. Which is something that my husband has said to me sometimes. And I'm like, well, mm. there's a huge pile in the laundry. So feel free Ooh. to go over there and put them in the wash. Like, yeah, you know, so, ones on if you like. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like, you know, people need to have an impetus sometimes to actually mm. change, you know, in terms mm. of the people who are around us supporting. So what balls can we drop that somebody else could potentially pick up? Who else, what can we outsource as well? So that's one of my big things. My thing, like my friends call me the outsource queen because I literally outsource anything that I can. I don't care. Like I'm mm. ridiculous with it. And I have the capacity for that. I haven't always had the capacity. I come from a very different background, mm. um, but I do have that capacity now. And so I use that to my fu full ability. And also when I outsource things, it means that I can give in other ways. So the fact that I have someone doing my laundry and whatever means that I can run a free group that supports women in my community, mm. um, looking at how they can reduce overwhelm in their day to day. I can't, you know what I mean? So this thing about like, I recognize that I have um, a financial position where I can ac access more support than maybe other women can, but mm. then I also try and give that back by you know, okay, I've got time now where I can actually maybe support another client or I can give back by providing this free workshop or, mm, you know, whatever it may pay be. It forward. Yeah. That's a great answer. So we've got two more questions and then I'll mm -hmm. finally be able to let you go. What <laughs> no are your greatest tips for mentally preparing for the return to work? I just, I just really don't know the answer to that. <laughs> the reason I, love it. I don't know the answer to that because I mean, yeah, because you said mentally preparing. That's why I'm saying I don't mm. have the answer for that because I feel that it is normal and part of the process that we're going to have big feelings and big emotions and big physical reactions to mm. being away from our children, um, that, you know, changing gears into different, you know, roles and things like that. That's inherent. What we can do is prepare for enough support to manage mm. all of that and to prepare enough support so that we can have space and capacity to to manage the emotional stuff that we kind of have to mm. deal with throughout that that's kind of mm. what I would say about that um so it's about getting those logistical but also those emotional yeah. support networks yeah. As, yeah. as best as you can it doesn't mm. mean that everyone's getting paid help some yeah. people can't afford it some can yeah. yeah but it's about just working within your means to get the best yeah. support for you that's realistic totally and I also so just want to add, as you were saying, all of that, what came into my mind is also having honest conversations with your workplace um, so that they know where you're coming from and so that you understand what the level of flexibility is there too. Because mm. sometimes we can think that we can manage something and then mm. we get into the real life lived experience of it and we realise that it's actually not what we want. And mm. many people, I mean, that's what that identity shift is. It's like, we think this is who we are, which is what I had, you know, where I was like doing psych and I was like, I don't really like doing this. Maybe I'm going to start a clothing store. Like, <laughs> you know, who I was changed. And that meant mm. that the kind of work that I did needed to change. And that was a bit of a process, but being aware that that may be the case as well and knowing mm. what kind of flexibility you have in the workplace around that is important as well. That's really great advice. And it actually segues into the last question, which is advice for communicating how I'm feeling about identity shifts with my partner and then also with my work manager. 
Yeah, with your partner. I think with our partners, it's much like with, I don't, I'm careful about how I say that because what I was about to say, I'll say it. I was going to say it's <laughs> much like with our children. And I do not mean to, to put them in the same category as children or to say that they are children. But what I mean is that sometimes repetition is really important. Mm. And so continuing to have those conversations, even when we feel like maybe our partner didn't get it that time is have the conversation again and maybe the next time we have it we can let them know more about how we need them to receive the information so one of the things that you know really comes up for me in my relationship but in many other relationships for women that i've worked with is um you know that they might want uh that partners maybe get clear about what you need from your partner when you're talking to them so do you want them to fix the problem or do you just want them to hear about the problem mm, and feel like you've got a space really to be heard and then let them know about that in that conversation. So like, I'd need to tell you how I feel and I want you to hear it and I want you to validate that. Or, um, you know, I actually wanna solve this problem. So can we sit down together and think about how we can facilitate more mm. flexibility for me or more ease or whatever it might be. Interesting, if it was like works overwhelming me, it's like, yep. do you want, oh, that's hard or, okay yeah. works overwhelming you what are we going to do about it yeah and the reason mm. why i say that is because many women in my experience as well is that sometimes they just really want to be heard they just want mm. they need to be able to speak about what's on their heart and in their spirit and you know our beautiful men who have you know qualities that may be different to our own want to fix the problem for us and mm. that isn't necessarily what we might want in those situations and then that can cause tension and conflict mm. so i would say be prepared for that and also like call in support to have those conversations if you need them so if you need a therapist in 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 that conversation with your partner then that's fine like the earlier that you seek support the better everything is going to be for you mm. right so get out of that whole mindset of like i should be able to do this myself or i'm failing or whatever and just get in there and ask for the help um in terms of the workplace that one's a bit more of a, a it's not only just more of a complicated issue but it's also one that I haven't had my own experience of because it wasn't well I suppose I have but it was a bit different because I'm sort of working for myself but certainly mm. I I went to you know my um practice manager when I returned after my first baby and you know had that conversation about what does it look like for me to come back um and what are you expecting from me and do I need to see a certain number of clients per day and all mm. that sort of stuff and also just what are you expecting from me is a really yeah. great question to ask just yeah, lay it exactly. out there yeah, mm. just lay it out and then say, does this fit in with what I want for my life at this point in time? Like, so if you still want to have, you know, flexibility to be in more contact with your child or, you know, I think the the, the first thing is, is that you just do need flexibility in the workplace for mothers because they mm. often are the ones that are picking up their kids when their kids get sick, you know, or mm. not going in because their kids woken up with a cough this morning and you're like, fuck, you know, now I've got to change the whole goddamn week, right? Like, it's it's full on and so being yeah. aware that if the more flexibility that we can plan for and account for in our working lives the more you know relaxed and less mm. stressed we're going to be as we return to work and as we mm. manage that space and the more supported we'll feel as well which i feel like has been a really big theme in our conversation is mm. getting in that support whatever that looks like for you well yeah. yara this has been such a great chat i've really loved Hearing all of your wisdom about your experiences, both as a working person and as a parent. So I think there'll be a lot to be taken out of this. So thank you so much. Where can people find you online? 
Yeah, you can find me at my Instagram's kind of where I hang out the most. So um, my handle there is at Life After Birth Psychology. Um, you can also find me on the web. So my website is um, lifeafterbirth.com.au. Um, and also you can find me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. And that show is called Life After Birth with Yara. Um, so I'd love to have you over and part of the community or just having a listen and getting what you need out of those resources that are available would be lovely. I love following you on Instagram, so I highly recommend other people get on board. Thank you so much, Yara. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. In acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, each episode I'll be doing a shout out to an Indigenous business or charity doing great things. This week it's Clothing the Gaps, a fashion label that have become particularly well known for their values-driven slogan tees that celebrate Aboriginal people and culture. You can check them out by searching Clothing the Gaps online. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.